My name is John, and uh, my wife and I have the privilege to, uh, in serving as community group leaders as well as serving on the communion team. Today's uh, scripture passage, as was said, is uh, Proverbs chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 11, and Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard, guard you. Chapter 30, verses 1 through 5. I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I am not only a brute. I, excuse me. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One, who was gone up to heaven and come down, who hands, whose hands have gathered up the wind, who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak, who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name, and what is the name of his Son? Surely you know, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. This is God's word. Thanks, John. Good morning, friends. We come to the end of our two months in the book of Proverbs, and we hope throughout our journey it's been an encouragement and an inspiration for you to include these words into your daily lives. And as we close, we come to Proverbs chapter 2, and as we read, there's also that prayer at the end of chapter 30 that describes why it is that wisdom is so important. So let's pray together, whether this is new for you or you're here for the first time or this is so familiar, let's pray together and let's ask God for understanding. Let's ask him for wisdom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that every person here matters to you. And because of that, you care about how we live, the choices that we make. You direct us in the paths we should take. You warn us against the paths that we should not take. You search the motives of our heart, and we pray that you would do that this morning. 
that you would remind us why your wisdom is so essential for life, how it can become ours, and how we can become wise people through Jesus. We pray for anyone here who does not yet know you, that today they would come to know you. We pray for anyone who's been drifting away from you. We pray, Lord, that you would draw them back. Speak to us all by the power of your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Never even said, amen. There is a painting that is famous and full of symbolism. It's an ancient small boat or vessel on a river carrying 10 people along with two others who are overboard and swimming around it. On the boat, there is no captain, and everyone on board and overboard is too busy feasting, singing, and otherwise partying to know where they are going. The painting is called The Ship of Fools. And the idea is very clear. They are fools because they are trying to enjoy life without knowing where they are headed. They are adrift. And yet, if you look closely at the painting, there is one small but very important detail. Hanging on the mast, high above, and almost, as it were, looking down upon them is a human skull. It's there as a warning, a warning about where they are headed, a warning that they do not heed, a warning they ignore. A fool never asks the question, where am I headed? The fool never asks, is this a wise or right decision to make? But wise men and women will ask, what path should I take? Wise men and women will ask, is this the right choice? So important is this issue of avoiding foolishness that the book of Proverbs is not only full of wisdom, the book of Proverbs pleads with you to understand wisdom. It calls out to you. And as we've learned, here's the good news. You do not need to have a crazy education you do not have to have some kind of incredible intellectual prowess to be wise. But here's the bad news. You could have an incredible education, but without wisdom, your education is not enough. So if you can imagine your life as a ship on a river, the question is, how is it being steered? Who or what is influencing the direction that you are heading. What's really behind the choices that you're making today? See, Proverbs puts all of those choices into really only two categories. There's only two ways of steering. There is the way of folly, and there is the way of wisdom. And apart from God's wisdom and truth and grace, we are all headed in the direction of destruction. We're all headed in the direction of folly, like the ship of fools. 
But the good news is that wisdom, the truth of God, cries out to us. And it is so important that we answer the call. Because God's truth will stop the drift. He can stop it for me, and he can stop it for you. Some of you here this morning, you do not know the direction to take. You do not know ultimately what to trust in for your your life. And today, our hope is that you would come to know what direction that is and how you can get on that path. But there are many of us who know the right direction, but we're not always living toward it. As we've learned quite often, it is possible to be a believer in Jesus Christ, know that you are accepted and adopted by God and loved by him forever and still make stupid choices. It's a thing. All the more the need for us to heed the wisdom of God. Because ultimately, as we've learned through this series, wisdom is not only about the decisions you make, it's about the person that you become and where you ultimately end up. And so as we conclude our series through Proverbs, we want to simply ask, why is it all so important? Why is it important that this book becomes a a part of our regular diet, if you will, in our daily lives? Why is it that reading the Bible in general should become a part of our regular diet? And what is it that makes the wisdom of God so distinct from the wisdom in this world? Well, in many ways, Proverbs chapter 2 is a good summary of Proverbs as a whole and answers these questions. And our three headings this morning are really based on three turns of phrase that we find in our text. If you, then you, and you. If you do this, then you will discover this, and the result will be this. So why should you answer the call of wisdom? Why is wisdom so important, so vital for your life, and not some kind of optional extra? Well, the first answer from our text is this. Wisdom will guide you. Lest we live as fools sailing in the direction of destruction, This passage, like many others in Scripture, begins with an earnest plea regarding the words of truth, an earnest call for us to look to the wisdom of God. And it opens in verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure. As we've learned throughout this Proverbs series, this was written and or collected by the great and famous king of Israel, Solomon, who no doubt was eager to pass on these words of truth to the whole community, but also even to his children. And so the context, the wording, comes to us as a parent passing down wisdom to a child. And specifically in Israel, this wisdom was essentially passing down the word of God. Passing down the law and the commands of God to the next generation. 
The words and commands of God are so important for our lives that divine wisdom is often pictured as shouting to us or pleading with us or calling out to us saying, this is what you need. This is the direction that you should go. And I'd like you to notice in these four verses, the word if occurs several times. If you accept my words and store up my commands within you. If you apply your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure. I want you to notice this very obvious but very important point. Wisdom is not automatic. You will not drift into wisdom. You will not wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden just be wiser. And your spouse or your roommate sees you in the kitchen like, oh my goodness, you're, you're wiser. Like what happened? You're like, I don't know. I've been drinking this beverage. I don't know. It just happened over. Like it doesn't work like that. You will not drift into wisdom. Wisdom will not happen automatically. Nor is wisdom the default state of the human heart in our broken world. Nor is wisdom something that comes from within you. If you just tap into your true and authentic self, as culture says, you will not find wisdom there. I do find it hilarious that, you know, when people are at a big fork in the road, they often uh, plan a vacation. And in many of the churches that I've, you know, are context that I've pastored often, younger people, but not exclusively. You know, if you're at a fork in the ro road, what do you do? You backpack through Europe. <laughs> Why? It, and you ask them, like, oh, is it to explore other cultures? You know, oh, to learn from the, the wisdom of the ages? Like, no, I just need to find myself. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> the idea is if I could just, you know, get out of the noise and just tap into my truest and most authentic self, I will become wise. I'm like, let me assure you, that will not happen. The wisdom that you and I need will not come from within ourselves. No, the Bible is very clear. The wisdom that you and I need is something that comes from above. So this morning, we need to confess our need for wisdom. God's given us this wisdom to guide us, and so our response should be, yes, guide us. I confess my need for this. It means you and I saying today, I want to change more than I want to stay the same. If we turned around to our neighbors in the room, don't worry, I won't make you, some of you are panicked. Don't worry, that was only one during the meet and greet. You're done. Introverts are like, oh, thank you. If you were to turn to your neighbor and ask, do you want to change? Most people would say yes. But I suppose a more clarifying question is, do you want to change more than you want to stay the same? Most of us acknowledge areas that need to change, areas that we, we want to be transformed, but do we want that more than we want to stay the same? Many of us just kind of get in the state where, I know I need to change, but uh, I just kind of like where I'm staying. I just like where I am. We need to confess our need for wisdom. We need to confess our need for guidance. So what do we do if we want it? 
Here's what we're to do with God's word. Here's what we're to do with the commands and instructions of scriptures according to verses one through four. Accept the word of God, store the word of God up in your heart, turn your ear towards the word of God, apply the word of God to your life, cry out for the word of God, search for the word of God as if you were searching for valuable treasure. That's the invitation to guidance. So let's be clear, this invitation of wisdom is not simply about reading a chapter a day, although it is a good thing to do so. It's so much more than that. The invitation and direction here, the the language used, is saying that essentially we should live within the truth, or rather that the truth would live within us. It means that the way that you think about your interactions today and with your spouse or your friends or your children or your work is saturated with the word of God's truth. I love in verse 4 that Solomon uses the imagery of mining for precious metal because the truth of God's word is to be dug out and then put through the furnace of personal experience. It's not just read a chapter a day, cool, done, did my devotions, moving on with my life. It's taking that truth and looking at everything else that happens in life through that truth. And please note, if it's not obvious already, this involves work. It involves effort. It involves intentionality. Because you and I, we will not drift into wisdom. In fact, there's a warning here. Because the opposite is true. Because of our sinful condition, not only will we not drift naturally into wisdom, we will drift into destruction. C.S. Lewis wrote a famous fictional account of what it would be like if a senior demon was training a junior demon to tempt humanity. Some of you may have read it. It's a book called The Screwtape Letters. Fictional account, but there's this letters, correspondence going back and forth between a senior demon And the senior demon is always trying to train the younger demon. Like, hey, here's how it's done. Here's how you tempt humanity. And on this note of gradual drifting, the senior demon writes to the younger demon, quote, you will say that these are very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters slash junior demons, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their culminative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into the nothing. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. I've heard it often said that it is the person who's sleepwalking into eternal destruction, sleepwalking into eternal separation from God. It's that same image of drifting because of the human condition that we're all in sin. That is, we've all 
turned away from God. We will not naturally drift into wisdom. We will drift into destruction. Hence, the call for wisdom. So practically, if it is true that wisdom is not automatic and we are prone to drift away from God, then are we ordering our lives in order to receive from God? Or think about the truth that you're taking in as a diet. Think about all the things you read and experience throughout the day and think of it as a diet. To help us do that, some of you may fondly remember the food pyramid, which was created in the 1990s. And no doubt this will bring back a lot of nostalgia for some of you along with transparent phones in your living room. I remember growing up hearing about the food pyramid how it showed the bottom layer was like the most fundamental and then it would go up from there. And though some of you foodies and will be critical of the details of the original pyramid, the idea was effective. It was designed to visually convey what was important about your diet. But what if we had a wisdom pyramid? What if we had a wisdom pyramid? Well, this is what the author Brett McCracken has put forth in a book by that name, the Wisdom Pyramid. The order, of course, is important. From the bottom and up it goes, from the most enduring all the way to the most fleeting. The foundational layer, of course, is the Bible. Does that make up the most prominent aspect of our diet? It should be our, our first and most consistent part of our wisdom diet. The next layer, of course, is the community of believers, which is a very important aspect to our health as we seek to understand and apply the truth of God together. Then you have God's created world. Then you have books. Hopefully, we're disciplined in arranging the information that they have. And then you have the arts, and then you have beauty. And then what do you have at the top? TikTok. Your Facebook scrolling at 11 o'clock at night when you can't go to sleep. Your Instagram account. But here's what's sad. If many of us are honest, this pyramid is flipped upside down. I would even put the news somewhere at the top. <gasps> many of us read the news like we're reading a devotion. Am I saying it's unimportant to read the news? Of course not. But are we feeding on it? Are we feeding on social media? What are we feeding on? See, for many Christians, the truth is the opposite. That bottom layer is like, I just spent two hours going on all these different, you know, news sites and clicking on all the clickbait. And I spent like 45 minutes looking at Instagram. And then I'm like, oh, I love that Bible verse. Moving on. It may mean for us that there needs to be a reordering of our information diet, if you will. A reordering of the wisdom period. In fact, you know, it's it, so often it's the truth that so many people are feeding on other things that then they just look to the Bible to cherry pick the verses that they like in that they become more shaped about the narratives they read in the world and then they just go to the Bible to kind of justify or bolster up their previously conceived opinions. But it should be for the believer the other way around. We need to reorder our diet and complacency is not an option. Without God's guidance, we will drift away. So reading scripture daily, it's an invitation for this guidance. Are you, will you accept that invitation? 
praying, whether it is by yourself at different times throughout the day or with other believers, like in a prayer meeting or a weekly prayer group, is an opportunity for guidance. Are you accepting that? Gathering with, with other believers like we are on Sundays and throughout the week or when our community groups are going is an opportunity for guidance. Are we accepting these invitations? Wisdom directs you. Wisdom guides you. Will you receive that direction? And be clear, this is no vain endeavor. And that leads to the second point. So why do we need wisdom? Because wisdom will guide you. But secondly, why do you need wisdom? Because wisdom will grow you. This seeking of God's wisdom is not some fruitless, legalistic, religious task. There is a reward. What is that reward? Well, as we've seen, the passage began by saying several times, if you, if you, if you, and then it's followed by then you. So here's the reward of responding to wisdom's direction. Verse five and six, if you seek these commands, then, verse five, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Where does this quest for for wisdom lead you? What does this quest bring you? It brings you to the fear of the Lord, which we have learned in Proverbs means awe and reverence of God. You will grow in your understanding of God. You will grow in your knowledge of God and thus you will grow in understanding how he's designed and how he has created the world and thus how you are to live within it. And this is no mere intellectual prowess nor is it simply emotional intelligence. This knowledge is more than just intellectual apprehension. It is a way of knowing that permeates your emotions and your affections and your will. Think about how we get to know other people in our lives. It's usually not through some kind of PDF handbook given to you that you know and understand a person. Although for those of us who are married, you might actually say that would be really handy. You're like, where's the chapter on moods? Because I'd like to understand more about this, about my husband. No, that's not how we usually get to know people. It's living life with them. It's observing them. How do they respond in this situation? How do they do under pressure? What is most valuable to them? How do they treat other people? It's that intimate knowing. See, wisdom, according to the Bible, is not some mere intellectual app apprehension. It is a relational endeavor. Because friends, this is about an intimate relationship with God himself. That is how you become wise. That is how you will grow. It is in a relationship with him. The growth you need comes from being near him. So let's be clear, when we think about wisdom, when we think about the word of God, God's design in wisdom is not simply to give you some life hacks to make life a little bit easier. That's often how people view the Bible, as if, oh, I I like the Bible. It's kind of like 
life hacks for normal people like, oh, maybe I can make a little more money or maybe I could do a little bit better of my job if I just read a little bit of the Bible. Now, granted, there are many results that will come from being in a relationship with God that may or may not impact your work in the way that you think. But let's be very clear. God's purpose in giving you this wisdom and this truth is because he's giving you himself. He's giving you himself. But friend, do you see what that means? This is incredible. It means that you are in a the closest relationship possible with the one who created the world. That's amazing. The result will be remarkable wisdom. The result will be you have a better understanding of how to live in this world. You're like, hi, yeah, no, I know the owner. (laughs) His name is God. He teaches me how to live. So it's not just about life hacks. God is not for hire as if you're like, hey, God, I'm just coming to you on a Sunday because I just would love a little top tips, you know, for for me so that I can go on living my life the way that that I want. No, it's about being in a relationship with him so that you begin to care about what he cares about. So that you begin to love what he loves. So that you begin to seek what he seeks after. Listen, if you want wisdom with money, draw near to God. Draw near to him. And it's in knowing him that wisdom will flow from that. Do you need wisdom in your decision-making? Draw near to God. Do you need wisdom in your marriage or in your friendships? Draw near to God. Do you need wisdom in your ethics and your morals and your behavior? Draw near to God. It all comes from pursuing a relationship with God and understanding who he is. And as a result, you will grow. So we see this, if you, then you pattern. If you will seek out and turn your ear to the commands of God, then you will know and understand the fear of the Lord. You will reap the reward of wisdom. But this raises a very important question. Some of you hear this, or maybe you've been hearing all the Proverbs, or when you read them on your own, and you say, this sounds a lot like work. But I thought my relationship with God was based on grace. And yet, the way in which we're talking about it this morning makes it all sound like effort. All of this sounds as if it's conditional so long as I am seeking God. And this leads to a very important distinction to make regarding the Christian life. There is a massive difference between merit and effort. There's a huge, a world of difference between merit and effort when it comes to a relationship with God. Merit is about earning or deserving a place with God. And yet the Bible says we clearly cannot earn and that we do not deserve a place with God. All of us have sinned. All of us are guilty before a holy God, and the wages of sin are death. We cannot earn our way to heaven. We do not deserve entry into heaven. And so the gospel comes in and says, you are saved by grace, which is amazing. But then you read all these scriptures about all the stuff you got to do, and you're like, wait a minute. I thought I was saved by grace, so why do I need to seek the Lord? 
Well, if merit is about earning or deserving a place with God, effort is different in the Christian life. Effort is not about earning or deserving a place with God. Effort is about experiencing and enjoying the place that God has already given to you by grace. There's a huge difference. And let me use an illustration. But it begins with a confession. I'm born and raised in California. And I've never been to Yosemite. <laughs> Audible gas. Some of you are like, he's not allowed to vote anymore. Why did you hire this man? <laughs> okay, born and raised in Southern California, never been to Yosemite until three weeks ago. He's like, he's saved, I know he is. It's the fruit we were looking for. It was a great trip. We went with some extended family and so I've, I've never been, as I've just said, some of you are shocked. I have been to Yellowstone, ironically, just a couple of states away, somewhere over there. So as we're driving in, through the kindness and generosity of my sister-in-law and her husband, their car was before us. So the way it works, for those of you who've never been, all two of you, you, you drive to the perimeter of Yosemite National Park and there's a gate because entrance requires a payment. But to our surprise, my sister-in-law and her husband, they paid for us so that after, as we pulled up to the gate, the, the, the person in the booth said, it's been paid in full you may enter. Your entrance has been paid. And I was like, yes. And then you have to drive for like an eternity. And you're like, okay, this is cool. But you come to this tunnel. It's like the longest tunnel. Like it's the tunnel where you don't tell your kids to hold their breath because they will pass out. It's a very long tunnel. But at the end of the tunnel, you come to this epic scene that has graced every computer desktop since computers were created. Right? It's all the things that you know about Yosemite. But the problem is my glasses were filthy. My sunglasses that I were wearing, they were absolutely filthy. So we come to this tunnel and we come out and there it is. And I'm like, oh, I'm kind of having a hard time seeing. So what do I do? I'm like, oh, honey, like my, my glasses are filthy. I, I can't really see. So I, I, I take them off and I hand them to her and she's like wiping them down. She's doing this work. She's putting an effort to clear off my glasses so that I could take in the beauty that already exists. Now, it's a silly story, but with a very serious point. The cleaning off of my glasses required effort. It required intentionality. In fact, the filth on my glasses was inhibiting me from taking in the beauty that was all around me. But it was not the same as payment. I was already in the park. The price had been paid. Entrance for me was free because of the cost that another paid. So my effort in cleaning my glasses did not deserve me a place in Yosemite, nor did it earn me a place in Yosemite. Cleaning my sunglasses enabled me to enjoy the place that had already been paid for. Friends, when the Bible calls you to seek the Lord and to put an effort into prayer and reading scripture, it's not about earning or deserving a place with God. It's about experiencing and enjoying the place that God has already purchased for you through his son, Jesus Christ. It's not legalism to say, clean your glasses. It's not as if my wife's like, well, you're being legalistic and moralistic. As if I'm sitting there like, I deserve a place in Yosemite. I deserve it. But no, I'm cleaning it off because I want to take in and experience what has already been paid for. Or to use the analogy as we've already been thinking of, of a boat on a river. You and I could never 
direct the wind. But we do have a responsibility to lift up our sail. And in so many ways, that's how it works in the Christian life. If we do not lift up our sail, we may go adrift. But the call of God is not to create the wind as if we ever could or direct the wind as if we ever could, but we do have a responsibility to lift our sail that we might catch the wind. That's how Amy Carmichael put it, a woman who served children in India for 55 years. She described these spiritual disciplines, this effort of seeking the Lord as lifting up the sail. She says, we have not to make the wind or to beseech it to blow. We have nothing to do with the wonder of it. Our one work is to set our sails and to catch the least whisper of it. Oh, breath, my sails are set according to the promise of my Lord. Fill them now. A drifting ship is not asked to create or direct the wind. God provides the wind. But friends, every day we must set and send up our sails. Some days it will be easy. Other days, hoisting up sails in rough wind on choppy waters may require resolve. It may take effort. But the reward is worth it. A greater understanding of God. More of God experiencing him at work both in us and through us. And it is well worth the effort. See, grace is opposed to merit. But when it comes to our effort, we have grace-fueled effort. It's because I am accepted by God through grace that I then therefore seek him. So let's be clear. God is not saying, if you seek me, I will love you more. There's no verse in the Bible that says that. And yet, for some strange reason, that's like the default position of our heart. We're like, God, I did my devotion today. He's like, mm, oh, okay, you're being a good boy or a good little girl. I'll love you a little bit more today. It's not what Scripture's saying. Nor are we saying, if you do all this effort, you will earn a place in my kingdom. That's not what the Bible says. That is not the message Verse 6 says, God gives it. He is the source. What he's saying is, if you seek me, you will begin to know all that I am worth. And you will discover all that you are worth to me. If you seek me, you will realize more and more the treasure that you have in a relationship with me. And what happens the more that you know of him and understand him? It equips you for this life. And that's the third point and a summary of what so much of Proverbs is all about and why you need it is that wisdom will guard you. This passage concludes with a new but very down-to-earth and realistic theme, and that is the theme of protection. The and you, if you will, verse 7 through 11, he holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who, whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just, and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For, or and, wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. 
there are two ways that God guards us. One way that God guards us is by what he does within us. The first phrase, when it says he holds success in store for the upright, is a very interesting phrase. If you have an ESV translation, it'll say sound wisdom. And the older NIV translation says victory. So which is it? Success, sound, wisdom, or victory? Well, in a sense, they're all right. Let me read you a definition of this very fascinating Hebrew word. What is meant by this word success or victory? The word literally means, quote, the ability to devise plans and strategies of a sort that give you power, particularly in conflict. I'll take some of that. I need that. We're in conflict all the time. And in a sense, all these words are right. Because we do live in a world of troubles and a world of conflict and we need to be equipped or we need to be guarded. And a part of being guarded and protected is living well, living rightly. See, wisdom from God, rightly understood, received, and applied, are his way of protecting you in this world. It's the work that he does within us. The rest of the chapter, if you read it on your own, illustrates a variety of ways in which you can be protected in a world that there are wicked men and wicked women all around us. But notice, so much of this protection is actually from our own selves. That is a protection against making bad or unwise decisions. Protection against the lust, the violence, and the greed that can often arise in our own hearts. See, the, pro the, the caution in Proverbs lies not only in what the wicked can do, but there's also a caution against heeding their invitation to join them. But if you choose to do what is right, and if you rejoice in your relationship with God, and as a result, do what is right and just and fair, it will protect you against the seduction of evil. And notice how this guarding is often described in terms of character, because wisdom saves us not only from the lies of other people, but also from ourselves and what we might become if we believe those lies. See, this protection so often is, is described as resistance. A lot of the guarding you need is not just passive, it, it, it's active. It's as God works in your character and leads you and guides you in your decision making, it protects you. It's an act of resistance, which is echoed all throughout the, the Bible, especially in the New Testament, particularly in the words of the Apostle Peter, who in his first letter described it like this. Chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And then positively, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may say, see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, as you draw near to God, you will be protected through living upright, just, and faithful living against those sinful desires which war against our souls. 
and positively being a witness in this world. And all of this comes from a living relationship with God, which means we need to confess our need for Him, to be with Him, and to rely upon what only He can provide. And He will protect us. See, one way that God guards us is by what he does within us. But there's another way that God guards us. And that's by what he does for us. And so the last prayer in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, there's a declaration. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. One way God guards us is by the work he does within us, our character shaping, the choices that we make, producing that in us in a relationship with him. But there's another way God guards us, and it's through what he does for us. Notice the language there is clear and powerful. God is our shield. And this is beautiful because it points all the way to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because friends, it is no random fact that God is spoken of as a shield in the Bible because in Jesus, God quite literally became our shield to save us. How does a shield save someone? How does any armor save someone? A shield saves through substitution. The shield substitutes itself in your place on your behalf so that the blow that would otherwise destroy you is taken in front of you so that you might live. That is how a shield saves and that is why we call God. That is why in the gospel we have a shield that saves us because on the cross, when Jesus died for our sin, he, the perfect sinless son of God, he took the blow that would ultimately destroy us. He took the penalty that our sin deserves, the judgment that we deserve so that we would be protected from the eternal consequences of sin. He saved us through substitution. Jesus is our shield and our response is to hide in him. That's why the Bible calls Jesus the wisdom of God. His act of wisdom was upholding justice against our sin, and at the same time showing mercy to sinners. And he did this by being our substitute. Jesus makes following this wisdom all possible. It's not about us climbing our way to heaven. It's about trusting in the one who's come down from heaven to us. Jesus is the one who guides us. Jesus is the one who grows us. Jesus is the one who guards us. We do not become wise, we do not grow, we do not become saved through what we achieve. It is through what we receive. It's taking refuge in Jesus as our Savior and coming to Him as our source of wisdom. See, receiving Jesus is allowing Him to put your life together where it is all falling apart. So where do you need guidance this morning? It's found in Jesus. Will you come to him? Some of you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus.
Today is the day. Today is your opportunity. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Say today, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. What I truly need cannot come from within. It can only come from you. I believe Jesus died on a cross for me. I believe he rose again on the third day. I trust him as my savior. Do that today. Hide in him as your shield. And church, where do you need growth? Where do you need growth in your character? Where are you in need of protection? Where are you in need of guidance? Come to Jesus. And the good news is, friends, the message of the gospel is not pull yourself together. The message of the gospel is Jesus puts you together. He's the one that puts you right with him, right within yourself, and right with others. Trust him and seek him for all he is worth because he first sought you. And we have an opportunity to do that even now. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that the door has been opened to us because of Jesus' finished work on the cross and his resurrection. We can come to you and have a relationship with you. We do not have to climb to heaven to earn this. We simply receive and experience and enjoy what you've already paid for. God, I pray that we would press into that, that we would clean the lenses, as it were, that we would seek you and pursue you. I pray for those who are drifting from you, God. Those even here in this room or watching online who say, it's not a big deal that I ignore scripture. It's not a big deal that I allow in these small sins into my life. God, I pray that right now that you would draw those people back to yourself, that your Holy Spirit would convince and convict that this moment is an opportunity for them to turn back to you. And Father, lest we drift, we pray that you would help us to search for you, to seek after you, to send up our sail that we might catch the wind of your Holy Spirit in our lives. I pray that even in these moments that we have together now, after hearing your word, would be an opportunity to do just that, to send up our sails. And I pray for anyone who is not yet saved, that right now they would believe and be saved, that they would trust in Jesus and know this morning that they are forgiven. Holy Spirit, would you do your work in us? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.